Welcome to this edition of Amazing Creation. I'm your host, Fred Johnson. This show is about the credibility of the scriptures as they pertain to the creation of the world and our origins, and in contrast to the dogma of evolution. The show is produced by the Triangle Association for the Science of Creation. That's shortened to TASC, T-A-S-C, a Raleigh, North Carolina group of scientists and lay folks whose mission is to increase awareness of the scientific evidence supporting the plain, straightforward understanding of the biblical account of creation. Evolution is almost universally now taught in our public schools, colleges, and universities as the origin of all of life we see around us. But there are many, including highly educated scientists, who see evolution not only as impossible, but moreover as untenable when made to stand beside the revealed Word of God in the Bible. Today we have with us Mel Blinson, who, like many of us at TASC, has struggled with trying to reconcile what naturalistic scientists say about our origins and the account in the scriptures. I've known Mel since he started participating in TASC in 2001. Mel is coming to us today to share his view of origins. Welcome to the show, Mel. Thanks for having me, Fred. Mel, I know uh, of your biblical view of origins. There are some who say there's more than one biblical view of origins. Is there only one biblical view, Mel? Yes and no, Fred. Darwin did not publish his book for 20 years after it was completed and probably would have waited even longer than this if another author had not been trying to beat him to the press. Why was Darwin slow to publish? Because almost all Christians held the straightforward view of Genesis where nothing is added or subtracted to what it actually says. Most people don't know this, but Darwin is called one of the seven most influential people who has ever lived because he radically changed our view of origins. For me, the straightforward reading is the only truly biblical view, but you're right, Fred. Not all Christians feel this way. Why not? Don't all Christians study the same book? We do. However, Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine says we err because we don't know the scriptures, and this is exactly what has happened in the Christian faith, and that so many people today who call themselves Christians either no longer read the book or often form their opinions before they read it and then manipulate the text to make it say what they want it to say. And I've done this myself. I've been either for or against something during a conversation at the office, and then I've had to apologize when I found all the verses on the topic and seen firsthand that I was wrong. Can you elaborate on how this is related to the origins issue, Mel? Christians who knew the scriptures well rejected Darwin's concept when it was first published because the Bible uses the term, after his kind, at least seven times in the King James Version of Genesis 1. In other words, dogs produce more dogs, apes produce more apes, etc. We have over 200 kinds of dogs, but they are still just dogs. Darwin's Tree of Life depicts all living things morphing from the first single-celled organism, which is very different from what the Bible says. We see the same type of thing happening with so many of the moral issues today and that people who know their Bibles well view homosexuality and abortion as sinful, whereas those who seldom read it sometimes view these same issues as gray areas. And then we have the weeds. Weeds? What do you mean by weeds? 
In Matthew 13, Jesus presents a wheat and weeds parable and then explains it later on in the same chapter. He's telling us that we'll see weeds, and by weeds he meant that there will always be people who look and sound like Christians in our church, but really aren't. I looked like wheat myself for about 19 years when I was really only just a weed. He tells us to ignore the weeds for now. He'll take care of them later on, and it does not sound like he has good plans for them. This same chapter, Matthew 13, also contains a parable about four types of soil where Christians who really are Christians are so choked by the things of the world that they produce little or no fruit. All of us need to continually examine ourselves because it is so easy to become entangled. And once we're entangled, we basically become the lukewarm people that are mentioned in chapter 3 of the book of Revelation. Since verse 16 says he will spit the lukewarm people out of his mouth, they may or may not be genuine Christians, which is very scary. You're starting to get pretty serious here, Mel. Sorry, Fred. I'm trying to summarize what the Bible says, and it is so very convicting sometimes. And I am very thankful for that aspect of it because I certainly need the convicting part. My parents always took my three brothers and me to church when I was growing up, and I had a lot of respect for the Bible. However, I usually judged it instead of allowing it to judge me. So it's definitely not my final authority. It was simply something that provided guidance now and then when I stayed it. I had been to church most every Sunday morning all my life, but never received a new heart. What do you mean by a new heart, Mel? Jeremiah 17.9 says the heart is deceitful above all things. Without a new heart, the Bible is just one of many books, and I had very little desire to read it back then. I thought I was okay just the way I was, since I'd never done anything really bad, like kill someone, rape someone, etc. But then I met Kent Brand when I was a freshman at NC State, and everything changed. Who is Kent Brand, and, and what happened? Kent Bram was a minister that worked for a church near the university, and he helped me see how I'd broken most every one of the Ten Commandments and never really asked Jesus to come inside and clean house. I thought God was my friend, but the Bible says we're actually God's enemy before we get the new heart. Why enemy? Because I never really glorified him. I only lived for me. Kent shared God's view of sin and helped me see Oh, I deserve to go to hell because I'm really not a good person. Most everyone thinks they're good, and I did too, because society keeps telling us that we're basically good people. But the Bible says just the opposite is true. Ken also showed me the two things in Matthew 7 that reveal how extremely bad things were for me. Two things? What two things are you talking about, Mel? Matthew 7 says the majority is on the road that leads to destruction, and I was definitely on that road. And later on in the same chapter, it says that so many of us will stand before God on Judgment Day and tell Him that we did this good thing and that good thing, and He'll say, Depart from me. I never knew you. Why did you stick around, Mel? It sounds like this might have caused you to run away from this guy. Because it was not really Kent's message, Fred. It was what the Bible teaches, 
and it was exactly what I needed to hear. If Ken had not said those harsh words, I never would have been convicted of sin enough to get the new heart. And without a new heart, my views would still be constantly changing, heading in one direction one day and in a completely different direction the next day because all I was doing was following whichever leader made the most sense. It sounds like you were a little what you might call wishy-washy. That's true, I was. And it was mainly because the scriptures say we don't get the Holy Spirit until we're born again. The Holy Spirit told the ones who wrote the Bible what to write, so who can explain it better than he can? Take the book of Genesis, for example. Believers have been reading it for thousands of years, and so very many of us have come to the same conclusion which is that God created everything we see in six ordinary days because morning and evening are mentioned on all six days. So how can they be anything other than normal days? And no gaps are mentioned. So why do we keep trying to manipulate what it says? Are we smarter than the one who wrote it? I don't think we are. So you think Genesis is literally true? I have no good reason to think otherwise, Fred. If the days were thousands of years long, we have plants that were created on day three, waiting thousands of years for the insects to be created on day five to pollinate them. To me, it seems like we cannot tweak anything in the Bible without affecting something else in the Bible. The Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 refer back to the six days in Genesis when they tell us to rest on the Sabbath like God rested after six days of creating everything we see. If the six days were 6,000 years long, we'll never get any rest before we expire. (laughs) Can you cite any other examples where tweaking one part of Scripture creates a problem somewhere else in Scripture? Sure, Fred. One very smart Christian author says the flood was only a local flood. If it was only a local flood... Why build a boat? Why not just leave the flood area? And why does the Bible say everyone but Noah and his family perished? We find evidence of a large flood all over the earth. If we tweak our view of Genesis 7 to make it only a local flood, the rainbow we read about in Genesis 9 no longer makes sense. The rainbow is a sign that God will never send another flood like the one we saw in Noah's day. And there have been lots of local floods, Are there any other reasons for your applying a simple, straightforward approach to these scriptures, Mel? Sure, Fred. Before I chose to follow the straightforward reading of Genesis, I was always confused, bouncing around from one view to the next. And then it finally dawned on me that I really didn't need to live like this any longer. I could do the same thing I do with the rest of the Bible, which is allow it to speak for itself. The more I thought about this, the more it made sense, because if any one of the other different views are correct, then the majority of folks who read the Bible are wrong. And if the majority is wrong, then it raises the question of why the Holy Spirit moved Moses to write something that most people would misinterpret. And no humans were present on days one through five, so it either is a complete fabrication or it really did come from the Holy Spirit. In chapter 3 of Genesis, the evil one asks the question, Did God really say that? And he's been asking the same question ever since that time because he loves it when we deviate from Scripture. As soon as we begin to think that Genesis 1 is not accurate, 
we start thinking that other things in the Bible may not be accurate too. Universities like Harvard, Yale, and Princeton were once schools that helped build our faith, and now they don't because compromise is a very slippery slope. Charles Templeton is one great example of this because he was on track to be an evangelist that would reach even more souls for Christ than Billy Graham did. After attending Princeton, he wrote the book titled Farewell to God and was a non-believer when he died and stood before the judge that we will all face someday. That sounds pretty scary. I certainly cannot think of anything more frightening than this, Fred. Well, we're almost out of time, Mel. Would you like to sum up your view of origins for our audience? Most everything Christians do in life is almost the exact opposite of what the world wants to do. Because we study our Bibles and apply the principles to everyday life when most of the world has little or no respect for the Scriptures. The gay lifestyle, abortion, etc. will always be wrong for us because these things were not great issues in the Bible. They are clearly sinful. And biblical principles affect who we vote for, who we marry, where we choose to work, how we raise our children, what we do on Sunday, etc. We don't allow the world to change our views on all of the above because they're based on solid biblical foundation. So I'm thinking that we should not allow the world to change our view of origins either. Sometimes science aligns with scripture and sometimes it does not. Science has been wrong in the past, whereas the Bible has never been wrong. So I'm going to stick with the plain, ordinary, simple, straightforward view because most every time I've chosen to compromise on something in the Bible, I eventually wish that I had not done so. Well, thank you, Mel Blinson, for being on the program. And thanks to you, listeners, for tuning in. You can find out more about TASC and some good information about the scientific study of the world from the perspective of those who take the scripture seriously at the TASC website, task-creationscience.org. That's T-A-S-C-creationscience.org. There you can learn about TASC's monthly meetings, which are open to the public, subscribe to the monthly newsletter, and read and download previous articles. Until next time, this has been Fred Johnson for Amazing Creation.